Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Coming up on this week's show, we're lifting the lid on the growing rowing scene in Ireland and in the Midlands. From success on the water to being part of our local communities, there's loads in our chat coming up with Athlone Boat Club. Chloe Farrell has found a pretty interesting outdoor pursuit to investigate this week. You'll know all about uh, the yoga studios in every town and village in the Midlands. There's Bikram yoga or hot yoga as well, but there's also outdoor yoga. Um, Health and fitness talk to a practitioner and teacher this evening. But first, if you haven't been following closely, you'll be forgiven for thinking that when it comes to track and field, Ireland's position as also runs is somewhat baked in. Well, we're going to take a closer look at the situation this evening. I'd like to introduce to you a man helping to bring the next generation of Irish singlet wearing athletes onto the major championship tracks and, of course, on our airways this evening. Uh, Damien Lawler is a coach with the Tullamore Harriers. Damien, thanks for coming in to us. Hello, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Um, so I suppose nominally or notionally, the reason I brought you in this evening was that a couple of your athletes that you've actually personally worked with before and, of course, um, have come from the Tullamore Harriers uh, have gone on uh, to pretty decent competitive success uh, representing Ireland. They were in the under 23 uh, championships, uh, European championships in Finland uh, recently. And um, we might do a roll call of who the Harriers were uh, that were there and we can talk about the the, the races they comp- competed in. Okay, so the, the three Tullamore Harriers athletes that were there were Ava O'Connor. Um, Ava's a middle distance runner. She would have grown up running 800 and 1500 metres. Um, and this year she moved on to running the steeplechase and she, she qualified um, quite comfortably for the steeplechase for the championships. Um, the other athlete was, or the other athlete, the next athlete is James Dunn. James is from Ballycommon, just out the road. Um, he's again an 800 and 1500 type. Over the last few years, he's moved up to 3000 and, and 5K. He's, he's ran. A lot of people that sort of know their 5K PB, he's around 13.55 for 5,000. Um, and this year, again, went for the steeplechase um, because he was targeting the the championships in Epsu, uh, just outside Helsinki in Finland. Um, there was also Aaron Keane was there. Aaron came up through the club, um, the, the club sprint system with a coach, Joe Henze. Um, he's, he's now down in college in Galway. This year, his his 400 time has, has moved on again. He's, he's around 47 0.8 seconds for a 400 metres which is quite fast mm-hmm. um, I, I would have tried to run 400s and I, I ran nowhere near that mm-hmm. um, and he was there on the Irish um, 4x4 team which made the final um, at the championships That's fantastic we'll get into their respective achievements I suppose since um, we are representing also Westmeath and Leash we have to give shout outs to Ruby Millet from uh, St. Abbans uh, Athletics Club uh, she did great stuff in the long jump, of course. She did, yeah. And there was Ushin Lane was in the walk. Um, for it was it was in the walk. Um, Punishing conditions as well. Yeah, I, I, we went out to watch it, and uh, there was three or four people with me who had never seen a walk at that level, and they were quite shocked when they seen the number twenty going up in the board because it, it was twenty k, and it was like it was a one k circuit, and and after. Like the, like the temperature that evening was about 27 or 28 degrees. So after the first three or four K, they were all just bathed in sweat. And, you know, I just just had to grind it out from there on in. Yeah. And, and it's funny because like we can actually kind of contrast the relative successes. They're all hugely successful for being good enough to, to, to represent nationally in the first place. But for Ava O'Connor to put personal bests together and for someone like Ushin who had a really hard race 
Um, but seeing them afterwards, you can still see the the kind of satisfaction of competition. Like Ushin came through a serious test there. He finished further down the field than he wanted to in a slower time than he wanted to. But um, the kind of the intensity of that competition and the difficulty of the race, part of that seemed to be at play in his after race interview, I thought. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be an expert on race walking. Um, I'd be like my my in-laws, they would, they would have they would have more knowledge about race walking than me. But I, the, the course itself was actually quite difficult. There was a slant on the course and there was a camber going off to the side and just looking at, at as they walked on that, it, it seemed really, really difficult. That was in behind the stadium and then the, the temperature as well. So I think like, like Oshin went out to try and perform very well. And I think some of the runners that, or some of the walkers, um, obviously, but that they would have passed maybe near the end had probably been very conservative. They, they hadn't risked anything while, while Oshin had really went at, at the race and, and, and risked, you know, risked, risked the performance because of that. Um, they, for the other athletes too, you, you know, trying to perform in those temperatures. But for us, a lot of the time, say when they go, when athletes would go to an international, like like Ava's been going to international since she was like since she was fifteen, sixteen years of age. Mm. Um, for both James and Aaron, that was their first time competing at a European level. And like the way we would look at it is, you need to go to a championships like that a couple of times to just see what the level is like and to be able to settle into it and you know to be able to deal with the nerves because. You would spend like you, you might work with your coach or or with the Athletics Ireland team managers, you know, for the right up to you know going into the call rooms. But once you go into those call rooms, you could spend anything up to like forty five minutes away from them. So that, you know, like like that's very tough for a young athlete to to deal with that sort of isolation from any coaches or anybody else. I can only imagine, you know, like any club runners listening can tap into the idea that, however, the way they prepare for their runs before uh, they go out training. Uh, compared to race day, it's really hard to get the body into a place and the mind into a place where you're used to performing and going into one of those rooms for 45 minutes with your competitors while you're waiting to get the call is just so weird. Yeah, and Ava was chatting about it afterwards. Like, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but when she was in the call room, and you know, she's quite experienced, but there was three Spanish, there was three, um, there was three Polish, and, and most of the other teams, there was, there was multiple... Um, athletes, so they were able to, you know, sit and chat to one another. Well, you know, she she felt quite isolated because she was just there on her own and you know dealing with her own demons before the race, before the final itself. Yeah, it's it's, it's a complicated uh, kind of, th- as you say, experience is key in that respect. Um, you mentioned Ava there. Uh, it's somebody that you've worked with from a good while back, uh, and uh, James Dunn as well. These guys now are kind of moving on to the next phase in their career, having graduated uh, from, say, uh, club running and, and, and ultimately running in Ireland. Uh, what are they up to now? Yeah, so, so, so both, both Ava and James are in Colorado. They're in a place called Alamosa. Um, it's, it, it's, it's the highest desert in the United States. I think possibly the highest desert in the world. Um, it's, it's an altitude training center that the Americans um, built in the run into the Mexico Olympics. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, it's part of the Adam State University. Um, James has been there. He, he's completed three years there. Ava has been out there for two. Um, some of that was, you know, they were out there during COVID. So it was like when they were flying out, they were on Aer Lingus planes heading for New York with maybe two or three people on the flights themselves. Um, but they, they've worked really hard. And the coach there, Damon Martin, um, he's he, he has had over 20 athletes that have qualified for Olympics as a team. Adam State would have a lot of success. But in recent years, th- there's been a huge number of Irish athletes that have done well there. So there's the Flanagan twins from um, just outside Oma in Tyrone that have been there. And there's Stephanie Cotter from 
um, Cork and, and, and there's been a number of other Irish athletes that have went through it and um, there's been a history of Irish athletes there was a guy called Shane Healy back in the 80s that went there Shane was, was, was a bit of a wild ticket um, he's what he called but he, he would have been very successful there back in the 1980s so that, there's a tradition of Irish athletes heading to Adam State too Okay and um, in terms of your relationship uh, with them then uh, it's not like they move on and uh, and that's it you, you actually still on occasion uh, work with these guys depending on what, what their direction of travel is and if they're in and around um, yourself for instance yeah, we would like, as a club like like we have um, uh, an officer or, or on the, the the club board and it's Annie file now and she's responsible for keeping in a good bit of contact with them um, as their sort of ex coach or their um, club coach. I, I keep in a good bit of contact with them just to, you know if we can spot any problems or any issues that are coming up or if you know if they need help sorting you know with logistics and stuff like that. Um, and then when they would come home, so like Ava and James would go home in late May. Like they still have a training schedule from Colorado, like so Damon would still be in a good bit of contact with them. But then you know we'd make arrangements to get them onto the track and and to time the the sessions and and communicate back what what they've been doing and stuff like that as well. Best practice as well probably isn't too different. So like you know carrying out another plan doesn't feel anathema to you. It's it it it, it, it makes sense. Yeah, like it, it it's interesting that you'd look at the different emphasis people put. Like like we have we've got a few other um, athletes at the moment um, that are. That are out in the states, like so. There's one guy in Kansas, Phil Aaron Mangan, who's, who's very successful. He got down to 150 for 800 this year. And Laura Mooney um, is in Providence. Laura's uh, she's the under 23 10,000 meter record holder for Ireland um, and has competed at, lo- at loads of internationals before. And it's interesting to see like their coaching maybe the same event, but they all like like all three of them, all three coaches could do it a completely different way and. You know, for for me, it, it it's interesting to be able to see the, the different emphasis they put, and then at the end, like the the end result is they're all running very fast and that yeah. as well. <laughs> um, so do you, is this something you you could like? Would you have would you have learned bits and pieces along the way, or you've been in the game this long that you know where you want your emphasis to be? Um, I I, I think you're never done learning. Like like I, I read like I'm, I'm a nerd. I, re, I read a lot of you know biographies of athletes. I would read you know I I, I have a subscription to Athletics Weekly. And when the Irish runners out, I'd be reading all of that. I, I think you're also going to coaching conferences and you're chatting to other coaches. And, and I think that like sometimes you would think that you have a plan which works, um, but it, it generally it changes, you know, it changes year by year. And you'd be quite sometimes I, I'd maybe look back at last year's plan or two years before plan. You'd be you'd be quite shocked by how dramatically it changes, even though you're 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 coaching sort of the different events or mm. you're, you're coaching the same events. It, it it can vary a lot because of the athlete. I was just going to yeah. say that the, the bespoke element to all of this, apart from the coach uh, and and the, the the track or the distance or whatever it is that that don't change, you're dealing with a human being who who has their own kind of their own requirements at the end of the day. Yeah, and like depending on their work or their um, you know, their schooling or college and stuff like that, like you know, you you need to sort of bend to those things because you can't. Like a lot of the time we would do like we would have tests of fitness. So tonight there's the 5k in roads which I'm sure will be a very successful event, but like we would use the PBs for that to estimate, you know, what sort of paces that they can run in training and stuff like that, but mm. If, if if somebody's had a hard day, you know they've had exams all week in college. You're you're going to be adjusting the schedule to make sure that you can um, take that on board. And then some athletes um, they deal better maybe with like like say Laura Mooney that we mentioned. Like Laura would deal really really well with running a, you know sort of long threshold runs and stuff like that. Um, while you know a, a James or an Ava might deal with better with sort of lactic heavy sessions and things. 
Okay, that's interesting. So aside from the physical differences that people have, obviously lifestyle differences can dictate what's practical, what's possible and how you read into certain results uh, and how you adjust and adapt to those. Uh, what about watching these athletes then when they are at the international championships and like Ava O'Connor did, she uh, got a PB to get into a, champ- a championship final and then backed it up with another PB. That's got to be maxing out from a coach's perspective what you want to see. Yeah, I think like like we have like 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 we coach like in 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 the group that I you know work work with up in the Harriers, mm. we work with kids all the way from sort of eight years of age right up to sort of, you know in their mid twenties, and you're always trying to find you know a goal for them. So like going into those championship for Ava, like the aim was to make the final, and I don't think I've ever seen her as nervous before her heats. Like for, before the final, she was actually quite relaxed because you know she had seen that that was the achievement she got there, and then. She was in the final, but, you know, for James, you know, chatting before the race, like the whole thing was to get there and to get used to running at that level, because Mm. we would think in the next, like, like all the books and all the academic literature says that athletes would peak, a male athlete would peak between the ages of 26 and 32, and a female athlete actually would be older, that would be into their 30s. Um, And maybe you you would hear some female athletes, because obviously women are tougher, um, running Mm -hmm. PBs in their early 40s and stuff like that as well. So... You know, you're 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 trying to get them. You know, like with James, you were trying to say, listen, this is this is a long term plan that you know in the, in the next few years we we'd hope you to be back at championships like this. It's hard for him to get his head around, I suspect, because he naturally is a competitor who's been very successful through his uh, early running career. Yeah, I think like like an athlete, like it's like, like I always like like when we would discuss, like say those younger athletes, those eight or nine year olds, like it's very hard to try and scaffold for some athletes because in, in a race, if you're playing football or you're playing hurling or playing rugby, we can always, you know, give the kid, kid a tap in the back and say you had a great game. But in a race, you know, you're either first or, you, you know, you, you mm. know, the kid will know exactly what position they finished in the race. And that, so, you know, and J- James was one of those kids who was a precocious talent. He, he was win- winning races all the time, you know, from a very young age. So when you get to this level, but, but what you have to remember is all the athletes that you're in the call room with, you know, for, for, before the competition, they were all that same kid in Spain or in Germany or in England. Um, and, you know, and now you've, you've moved up to that next level. Yeah, it's, um, I'd say from someone's perspective of your own, it's fascinating to see how, how each individual reacts to it and how good or otherwise they are at uh, that side of the game. Uh, we're going to take a breather. And when we get back, uh, we're going to have a look at where the, la- the lay of the land is, uh, Ireland's place in international uh, athletics, but also um, the place of athletics in the community. In the next 30 minutes, you'll meet a woman who's leading a community yoga movement in the Midlands, as well as hearing about how rowing is becoming all the rage. Right now, though, we're continuing our chat with Damien Lawler, coach at the Tullamore Harriers. Damien, we were talking about the success of some of the Harriers in international competition uh, before the break. Uh, Let's finish off that point by this question, essentially asking, where does Ireland stand in the grand scheme of things? It's felt like since, or rather, we tend to have outliers that get, huge success but the widespread kind of competitiveness has maybe been an issue historically is that uh, it likely to change are we in a better position now what do, what's your reading of the situation I, I, I think um, that there has been changes within world athletics and European athletics which have which has sort of forced a change within Irish athletics um, in in the in the last decade, we probably like Kira McGeehan and Mark English. Like, we probably haven't you know they've been, they've been as successful as as any as any you know, other generation of athletes in terms of amount of medals won at a European level. Um, 
you know, you'd have to go back to maybe Sonia Sullivan to, you know, to, to get somebody that, that, that has achieved more on an international level. Mm. But there's been changes in terms of qualifying for championships, like the Olympics, like the World Championships, like the European Championships, that you now need to compete in certain graded events. And the, uh, most of these events will take place on the continent. They'll pl- take place in Belgium or Germany. And it, it, it sort of started the, the year before COVID, 2019. Um, people started to, to, to go abroad for all of these races. And when you're in those races, you have to compete to quite a high level. So, you know, th- things are really exciting. Like tonight, you have um, Sarah Lavin, Rashida Adeleke and um, Kieran McGeehan competing in the Diamond League in Monaco. Um, and it's possibly, that's possibly the biggest number in any one Diamond League, to, you know, to have three Irish athletes competing in it. But there's also during the week, um, there's a young, young man from Tyrone, um, Nicholas Griggs, who he's, a, mm-hmm. he's an outstanding talent. He's ran 336. He's, he's still an under 20, you know, and uh, I, I had the privilege of seeing him over in Estonia um, in the under 20 championships two years ago. And, and, and yet he still, and he won the 3000 then, He's still um, underage to quali- or qualifies to compete in it. There's athletes like Andrew Coscarin. Like Andrew Coscarin has ran three thirty. Like you know, broke the national record. Yeah, but it broke the national record. So and, and Brian Fay also broke the five k record, mm. which you know had stood for a long time. Um, and and you can see that, that it's that moving out into that international scene. Um, some of that comes from you know what's been forced you know from world and European athletics. Um, but but other of it is, is is the hard work that the national federation has done. Um, there's been a lot of effort going into coach education, a lot of effort going into you know r- running camps for athletes at a regional and at a national level. Um, you know, and as a club, Tullamore Harriers, we, we've seen the benefit. So they're just athletes that I've mentioned already, but there's also, you know, we, we would have like the two Donegan sisters, Danielle and Nadine, are, you know, competing to a really, really high level for us. There's Neve O'Connor again on the women's side. Um, and what do you call it? You, you know, maybe a small bit older, but Liam Brady has, has produced consistently um, on an international level for, the, you know, for Ireland. Um but but a lot of that for for, for us is, is you know like, like there's these recent changes. But then you know we have people like Paul and Carly to look back to you know that you know as 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 recent as I want to say it is, I'm trying to think the Beijing Olympic Beijing Olympics mm. was 2008. Mm. Um, so you know Pauline was competing there. Um, you know and and Pauline's still around the club all the time. You know some people can be inspired by her or you know by some of those older um, Harriers athletes. You mentioned the club. Um Tullamore Harriers is uh, delivering athletes into the the green singlet, of course. But uh, uh, what happens in the club isn't just uh, producing the very best athletes. It's a community and a social hub as well. Um, and uh, what what are your observations being deeply rooted and involved at the club yourself about the Tullamore Harriers? We are, I will flag completely out of time uh, so this is our final question this okay. evening so f- for us the, the big thing is the facilities um, th- there's a management committee there um, Adrian Curley's our, our club chairperson um, Tom Beatty and, and, and some of the other management committee members you know when I rock in on a Wednesday or Friday night to, to coach kids um, you know the, the grass is cut the, the, you know all, all of those extra things you know, you know that, that, that you need in terms of facility like last year um, we had the track relayed um and you know that that costs into the hundreds of thousands of euros, and, and and all of that work goes on in the background. So we're we're very very lucky. Um, you know, if you're a coach in another club, you're you're running draws, you're um, you know m- maybe 
um, organizing table quizzes and stuff like that. And, and all of that stuff's pulling away from the actual job of coaching athletes. But in, in Tullamore Harriers, we have a world-class facility. Um, like most of the national championships each year are hosted by the club. And what do you call it? Our athletes get to access that, you know, three times a week and that as well. I, like we also, we, ha- we have the benefits, Croton GA, um, my, my, my home, um, village um, they allow us to use the GA facility to get warmed up on a Sunday morning before we hit the hills as well Okay so there's um, there's that sort of uh, social cohesion as well uh, between the two sporting institutions as it were uh, Damien uh, Lawler uh, coach in the Tullamore Harriers uh, congratulations on the club's success and, and the athletes from it and thank you for coming in to talk to us on health and fitness this evening Okay thanks very much for your time One of my formative sporting memories uh, that I can remember and I can remember pretty clearly uh, was watching the Sydney Olympics and Steve Redgrave of Great Britain uh, keeling over in his rowing boat at the tender age of 40 odd or whatever he was winning another gold medal and it just looked like the most exacting and exhausting and phenomenal sport. Um, rowing is receiving or endure, enjoying a kind of renaissance in Ireland, probably led by the Donovan brothers on RT television over the World Championships and the Olympics. Uh, but it's starting to see progress in clubs around the country and indeed the Midlands. Uh, I'm very glad to say that from the Athlone Boat Club, uh, coach of the junior groups there, uh, Gemma Kylie joins me on the programme here on Health and Fitness this evening. Gemma, thanks for taking our call. No problem at all, David. Delighted to talk to you. So Athlone Boat Club, um, I understand uh, not only were you guys represented at the National Championships in Cork, uh, but uh, there was an uncommon uh, positive number of those representing the club in Cork. Yeah, it was a an exciting um, weekend for us in Cork because um, from the perspective of the girls' side of the club, it was the largest number of crews that we've um, brought to the national championships in a number of years, you know, um, which was super. It's been growing over the last few years, as you referred to. And to be able to go to the national championships with um, up to eight different crews of girls was was fantastic, you know. From your own perspective then, and from your own experience in rowing, how much of a lift does that give you as a coach to see so many young girls getting so involved, considering what we might talk about down the line or the benefits of rowing and that type of thing socially and physically, uh, to see so many young girls engaging in competitive sport? Well, look, we take great pride of it in it in Athlone Boat Club. You know, um, in a lot of sports, you hear about the dropout rates with teenage girls, you know, and it's something we always try to legislate for and create an environment where, you know, we, we minimize that. So um, from my perspective and, and my fellow coaches, we were thrilled because we feel we've kind of got to a certain stage with them now that the sort of 16 year old age and are really hopeful that we'll hold on to them for the next couple of years. You know, they're hook, line and sinker into it. They love it. It's positive for so many reasons, not just the competitive side. And, um, you know, it's something that we really hope to grow and build on over the next couple of years. It's it's exciting to even kind of think of of the potential growth in a sport uh, if you've managed to transcend that tendency uh, for people to drop out when it gets to a certain yeah. point. Um, so, yeah, hopefully... It, it it takes and it's st- uh, what about the championships itself uh, what was uh, the highlight uh, from Athlone Boat Club's perspective well we had um, as I said we had a number of crews out and we were competing in the, the junior 16 and 18 age categories 
the highlight for us was we got two girls, two of our junior 16s, uh, Anna O'Grady and Sarah Rocket, onto the podium first place in the junior 16 double skulls, which you referred to the O'Donovans. They brought the double skull um, to life in Rio and uh, everybody knows about that boat. So our two 16s um, placed first in the junior 16 event, but with a time that would have secured them second place in the junior 18 event. So it just goes to show the standard, you know, they had a really dominant win and that was our podium result, we'll say, that really brought huge excitement and pride, you know, to the club and to the girls themselves. Yeah, that's real, kind of a realisation of the work that they yeah. put in. They then get that that celebratory reward. There's nothing better. And from the Bow Club's perspective, uh, great to see as well, because it can really spur on uh, any of the girls who know the girls and and, and uh, anyone who hears stories or sees pictures of or knows that they're being talked about on the radio. So, again, hopefully it all feeds into it. Um How's the club doing then, generally speaking? I have, I'm saying that like I've, I've been reading about an uptick in participation in rowing over the last couple of years. Is that something that tallies with what you're seeing in, in, in Athlone Bow Club? Oh, absolutely. Without doubt. Um, you know, our club is in a really, uh, it's really in demand. We've recently just had a fully refurbishment of our clubhouse. We have a fantastic facility. We've building a fantastic fleet of equipment. We've had huge success in recent years, you know, with some of our boys um, in the club representing Ireland at World Junior Championship level and European level. And this year again, we've two boys selected, one to go to the European Championships for juniors and one to go to the World Junior Championships. So from a competitive perspective, we're, we're in a great place. And now we see the girls, you know, they've been a little bit in their shadow but they're inspired by the boys and they're certainly looking to to look at some of those um, competitions over the next few years and try to get themselves selected for Irish junior rowing. And that has the knock on effect that, you know, for example, over the next couple of weeks in August, we're running a couple of introductory camps over three or four days out in Coosin Point. Mm. And um we're almost fully subscribed and we only launched the kind of advertisement for it uh, 24 hours ago. So big demand for the sport. Two things occur to me. Um, The first is that I remember um, again kind of looking at uh, some punditry on TV before where you had former international rowers saying that they never had the support they needed to uh, get onto the water in a competitive way internationally and you know as we talk I realise like facilities wise environment wise uh, climate wise there's nothing to say we shouldn't be able to do that obviously that's improved greatly now the other question occurs to me is aside from maybe we do have the climate now and the environment is it an accessible and an affordable sport because it, it obviously the negative connotations of rowing maybe comes from the uh, uh, Oxbridge world where uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, there's the Oxford and Cambridge kind of rowing yeah. competition that's not really the scene in Ireland is it? It's not really. No, it's not really. I mean, it was all, you know, it's a great university sport in the UK, obviously, and at home in Ireland. Um, but it's more and more accessible all of the time. I mean, Athlone, for example, it, the club is situated in the middle of town. So people from, you know, near and far get to see it. And, um, you know, we're opening our doors all the time to try and make it more and more accessible, you know, to people from all walks of life. The issue with rowing is it's a it's a it's a learned skill, 
and you need a little bit of patience and you need to be a little bit older maybe to, to learn it, you know. So it's not like football or basketball where you can pick up a ball and within a couple of hours, maybe, you know, it comes to you and it comes to some very easy. Mm. Rowing just takes that little bit of time to develop the the technique. And for some younger, younger kids, maybe they don't have the patience for that. So that might be an area of the sport that just makes it a little bit less accessible, you know, um, because typically we don't start kids till they're 12 or 13. And at that point, they may be already fully involved in other clubs, you know. Yeah, but that, that makes often sense. then you have kids that mightn't take to other sports, you know, as easily and may come to rowing a little bit later in li- life, li- teenagers, a little bit deflated because they haven't found their thing. And all of a sudden, this new sport and it can click for them really, really well, you know. So certainly it's open and it's never, ever, ever too late to try it. Mm. Like our oldest member in our club is in his 70s and we had a couch to 5K um, adult rowing course, indoor rowing. Now this was on the rowing machines over the winter and um, we had members or members of the public who ju- who came on that that weren't members of the club that were in their 60s and loved every minute of it, you know. That's brilliant. So, yeah, um, we're trying to be more, now that we have this fabulous facility, we couldn't have done this, you see, before with our old club. We just didn't have the facilities, space or equipment, but we do now and we're looking at all of these different ways to kind of open our doors and get more and more people involved, you know. You speak with great passion about uh, the sport or the for other people, obviously, the, the, the hobby in the past time. Uh, from your perspective, what brought you to rowing? What is it about it that um, has kind of caused you to commit so much of, you know, your 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 leisure time to it? Well, I came to rowing, I suppose I was 13, 13 or 14 years old and I had come from a background really where I was swimming. Swimming is a fairly tough game and I'd reached my ceiling, as, they, as they'd say, you put in a lot of hours and... I was as good as I was going to get, really. And I was looking for something else. And I, like it's like everything with teenagers. A friend of mine joined. She was a little bit older. She loved it and said, would I come down to Athlone Boat Club? And um, went down. There was a group of beginners starting. And it took off from there. I was very lucky. Um, I took to it pretty well. And um, within a couple of years, we'd established a great crew. Um, we'd had some wins along the way and you're hooked then you know um certainly that's how it was for me and I rode all through my secondary school experience you know um I rode through university I spent some time in Germany studying I rode in Germany with a German club and now I'm home and my own kids are teenagers well in their teens and I've one rower and one swimmer funnily enough and you're just giving back a little bit then really and um and then trying to open the door to people who literally think they've missed the boat. You know, I wish I had tried that. And then you're sort of saying, well, you still can really, you know, we can try. It's a great sport for an older person. You know, there's great health benefits. It's low impact. You know, it's it's not that it's not strenuous. It can be immensely strenuous, but you can actually do it at, you know, a lower intensity, nice and smooth, low impact. So it becomes a very safe sport for, for an older athlete or someone returning to exercise. And that's what we're sort of discovering now. We've um, an awful lot of interest um, in that area in the town and in our club. So I just think there's not a bridge in the country that I would ever have passed since I started rowing that I wouldn't have looked out and looked at the water and 
every person listening who has any background in rowing will think the same. It said, just that's lovely water. I'd love to go out rowing on that, you know. <laughs> it just becomes all consuming, you know. So it's nice to be able to share it with other people, you know. Um, that's the immediate thing that occurs to me is being out on the water. That must be on so many occasions a kind of magical feeling. It, as you say, you, you kind of can't help but going over a body of water on a bridge without kind of transposing and projecting yourself in the boat on that water, be it a glass-like surface or otherwise, uh, that sensation, is that something you fall in love with? I think so, yeah. And that happens quite quickly because, um, you know, everybody's so busy in life these days, whether at home, at work, running errands in town, dropping kids here, there and everywhere. Actually, on a stretch of water, whether we're in the on the Shannon in town or out at the lake in Loch Ree, or I have experience of rowing on your canal there in, in Tullamore, there's just something about it. It's just very mindful. It's very pleasant. And um, I think everybody could do with a little bit more of that in their day, couldn't they? Yeah, I think that we cannot dispute. And this absolutely yeah. sounds like one of those sports where, as you say, it's low impact. You can choose almost the level of resistance you put into it intuitively. Yeah. So the, it, it's very much open for those who don't want to take risks with their physicality. But by the same token, there's no uh, there's no depths that limit how lo- how hard you can go on a boat either. Like if someone's looking for something intense, it's available oh, yeah. in the rowing boat as well. Absolutely. It surely is. Yeah. You recall watching Steve Redgrave. I have very much vivid memories of watching that. And he said he'd be shot if he went near a boat <laughs> again after his level of output. But um, and then there's just the more leisurely pace where you just say a group of women or men or a mixture of both say we'll meet at three o'clock and we'll go up the river for an hour. You know, just a little bit of fresh air, a bit of exercise. And whether it's connection with nature or connection with other like minded adults, it has so many benefits, you know. Well, Certainly the benefits are far reaching and they're reaching towards the younger generation across the country in the Midlands yeah. and at Athlone Boat Club. Uh, Gemma Kiley, uh, who has your her hands full with some very talented youngsters as a, a coach of the junior groups at the Boat Club. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us on health and fitness this evening. Not at all. Delighted to, be, delighted to be able to share a little bit about it. Now in health and fitness, we're getting into mindfulness, exercise and community. Tanya Ross is the owner of Lion's Breath Yoga and she's been speaking with Chloe Farrell. And first, she outlines what it is we're talking about. Sure. It's an initiative called Community Yoga, organised by Leash Offley Children and Young People Services. And that's to support integration in the community. Um, Neve Dowler asked me to teach in the park, weather permitting, and on rainy days, St. Mary's Youth Centre have been very kind in opening up their space for us also. What's going to happen during these classes then? During these classes, we, are, we invite everybody to arrive and bring their mat if they want. And I lead them through a yoga practice, starting off with some breath work. How long will these run for? So they're planned to run until the end of August. But we'll see if they're popular. We might continue on if the weather's good and maybe in um, St. Mary's Youth Centre as well. Do you think coming into winter that it might be a good thing to have running as well or is it a bit cold for it? No, absolutely not. I think it's really good. Some people will be happy to continue outside, um, but it gets a bit wet. So, I mean, it just it really depends on the weather. But it is really important, especially during winter. And that's when um, the studio can get really busy. 
because people find that there's very little to do for them outside. They're not keen on going outside in the cold weather, but they still want to connect with other people. Who can attend these classes? Everybody. So they're open to absolutely everybody um, of all ages. So if the classes are suited for everyone, is it going to be parts are more advanced yoga or beginners or is it kind of the same level throughout? So because it's a 40 minute lunchtime class, we it's more of a stretchy, breathy class. So there, it's not going to be advanced. But if you are an advanced practitioner, you can't you will know if you want to take something to the next level. But this will be accessible for everybody, for people who might want to go back to work afterwards and they don't want to might need want to have a shower or for people who want to take it up a notch. So it'll be for all levels and I'll give lots of modifications and options for people. With an initiative like this, how is it beneficial to people? So by having it outdoors and with a large group? Because it's going to be in the town park, which is accessible to the general public, it's surrounded by trees full of fresh air and I feel it's a lot less intimidating for people who have never practiced yoga in a studio setting. So being connected with nature provides relief from screens, allows you to realize that you're part of something greater, to experience something a little different. So the term grounding and feel grounded is used a lot these days. And when you look that up, it means to feel mentally and emotionally stable. So connecting Mother Earth and Father Son, as we say in class, allows us to feel supported and feel held. Ultimately, feeling safe, which uh, led me to learning more about the effects of yoga on the nervous system. Yeah, and I suppose just to bring it more back to the nervous system there, and obviously there's going to be a lot of physical benefits to yoga, but... Mm -hmm. In terms of your nervous system and the benefits of your mind, how would it work? So I've learned that the mind can be easily manipulated, but it's your body that keeps the score. To quote the title of Bessel van der Kolk's book, if, if anything, yoga quietens the mind so you can connect with your body and your soul. So ideally thinking all three, mind, body, soul and finding balance. And what way would it affect your nervous system then? How does that all tie in? When I trained in the connected practice, which is yoga for the nervous system, I didn't quite understand what it was about until I trained in it. But it is essentially recognizing what our nervous system's current state is and connecting with that need um, that must be met and giving ourselves what we need. So this can be as basic as breathing or to nourish ourselves expressing ourselves to move slowly or quickly, but ultimately recognizing that we move through different states and being able to address what we need for a healthy nervous system and a blissful life. So when we practice yoga before we even invite people to to make a come into a yoga pose, we invite them to connect with their breath. And by asking them to connect with their breath, it initially and instantly brings them into a present moment which calms the nervous system and that's just the most important part about yoga I think is connecting with yourself and your own personal needs. With that connecting and recognizing what your body needs is there something that you need to look out for in particular or, or anything 
specific that would help you recognize what exactly it is that your body needs? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, if you are stressed and we are stressed in many different ways and sometimes you can overthink things and be in your head a lot. And that's why yoga is so good because it it brings you back to the present moment by asking you to bring your attention to your breath. And if you can bring your awareness to where you're feeling the stress or anxiety in your body and place your hands there. So common places are hand on the chest and the other hand on the belly and breathing into those spaces, lengthening your exhales will have calming effects. And by doing this, it can bring you into the present moment. Just to bring it back then to the classes that are going to be taking place in Tullamore, what effect would yoga have on your body in a class like this with a group of people as opposed to if you were practicing at home by yourself or just in a situation where you were alone? So as human beings, it is essential for us, for our survival to have human connection. Some of us may live alone, but feel fully connected to friends, family, the earth, because they are connected with themselves. And others may live with many people and feel very lonely. So through my practice of yoga, I've learned the most important connection is the connection I have with myself. And the benefit of practicing in a group in the park particularly is that you can meet people you wouldn't normally meet being outside invites more conversation and potentially new friendships. And practicing alone has many powerful benefits also, particularly connecting with yourself, as I said. Having a strong, healthy connection with yourself is important in order to have strong and healthy connections with others. I suppose just to wrap it up a bit now, we'll bring it back to yourself. So how did you begin your own career with yoga? Um, Yeah, so I began to deepen my practice when I was going through a particularly stressful time in my life. I turned to yoga thinking it would help me escape my thoughts and my stresses and myself. But the more I did it, the more I realized uh, I didn't need to escape from myself, but rather it helped me come back to myself again. So when I'm able to show up for myself, be compassionate for myself, then I can truly connect with others. And that is what I think people benefit hugely from with yoga, connection with themselves firstly and then with others. How did you decide that you wanted to further your knowledge and look into the nervous system and the effects that yoga has on it? I think I didn't actually know much about the nervous system, but I knew that yoga really helped me feel good. And not just good, but it helped me feel. So sometimes I'd come from a yoga session and feel a big release like I could burst into tears and then I allowed myself to do that and would feel wonderful afterwards. So it just felt like a real non-judgmental place to be. And when I saw this course, I thought that there was so much more that I needed to learn and um, connect with my, my nervous system and how I could meet my own needs. What sort of an impact or benefits would that have then on you trying to explain and teach other people? I guess when I look at how I speak to myself, so my internal dialogue is really important. You know, sometimes I might put myself under a lot of pressure and how I would show up in a class. And, you know, I prepare a lot and I'm actually finding that I'm more at ease when I'm preparing for my class because I'm letting myself off the hook a little bit more. So understanding that like my program so that I would have high expectations of myself would apply a lot of pressure on myself 
and realizing through this practice, the connected practice that I study, that nobody has to be perfect. We can just do our best and it's okay if we make mistakes. And I think that translates, well, at least I hope it does, into class, that the more we are okay with not being perfect, the more enjoyment we will get out of life. Thanks to Tanya Ross speaking with Chloe Farrell. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with The Hearing Consultancy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Vision's one